Gervais, thanks for joining me. I wonder if we could start by looking at two of the trends that you talk about in that book. So one of those is um, globalization, but the other is also deregulation of the debt markets. So could you, you talk a bit about what impact you think those two things have had on markets over the past 30 odd years and how, how, how have they shaped markets? Yeah, I think one of the key aspects of globalization was that uh, as free trade opened up, the ability to import uh, international goods from uh, low cost economies was such that actually you could import deflation at a time when inflation has been uh, so persistent uh, importing deflation meant that actually we've had a relatively benign period, probably for 30 years now, where inflation has been uh, uh, largely suppressed. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, every time we've had an economic setback, we've been able to inject extra uh, financial you know, stimulus uh, in the form of um, interest rate cuts or, or more recently quantitative easing, uh, which has boosted the uh, valuation of bonds. Uh, it's boosted the cash in the global markets. It's boosted the ability of companies to raise capital. And as that comes through, then you've seen asset valuations, stock markets moving up, but also global growth persist for an extraordinarily long cycle. So that's the first point, a long period of economic growth with benign inflation. The second feature has been that actually banks you know, just couldn't lend fast enough. You know, they weren't industrially organized to lend at the rate which you could. As interest rates came down, people wanted to borrow more. They wanted to borrow in larger size. They wanted to invest more rapidly. They wanted to gear up financial structures. Uh, and effectively, that's meant that we've had a move towards uh, quoted debt markets. Uh, debt markets, quoted debt markets are much larger now than the quoted equity markets, for example. Uh, and so this has meant that actually many companies now, they use debt routinely as part of their funding structure. And some of them uh, make the base, work on the basis that they can always raise or roll over some of the existing debt when it expires and, and, and continue to keep it as an evergreen facility, which is fine on the way up, but could become more problematic should uh, trends change. Yeah, and I mean, you, you wrote your book six years ago now. Um, you, you made some, some bold predictions in it that things would change within three years. Um, it, it looks like we are on the cusp of, of change, but I would say in the past six years, many of the, the problems you described in terms of the impact of deregulation of debt and globalization have perhaps become more pronounced. Do you think that's a fair comment? Or Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, really. I suppose when you're talking about three decades, you know, whether it happens in three or six years is perhaps a, a matter of detail. But, but most particularly, I think the pattern there, which basically involves... Uh, active fund managers supporting companies which are not just uh, appreciating but hopefully appreciating faster than the stock market overall tends to drive, direct them towards those companies which grow rapidly, use plentiful cash to do so and grow into uh, global winners. I mean big examples of that might be Microsoft and Apple which have grown into companies which are now dominating the world and generating very very substantial cash surpluses uh, and their valuations are very very high which has meant that in many cases, the original investors have made out uh, supernormal returns. So what we've seen is an awful, a lot of me too type businesses uh, seeking to invest very rapidly, seeking to go for a large global position, uh, running heavy negative cash flow whilst they build up. Uh, and they've got to a stage where they're in danger of falling between two stools. Uh, you know, when you're growing fast, you have to put a lot of cost in 
to, to deliver on a, on a global scale, but it may be a little bit longer before you get to your, your sales. And certainly if we now find that as inflation returns, sales never quite reach your targets, or indeed there's margin pressure, and the margins on those sales never reach your targets, then you could find that actually you never get anywhere near to the position you look for and you actually fail as a business. Yeah, so do you, I mean, I don't want to say that you are predicting a fall of sorts, but do you think that the problems that will come with the, the changes you describe the end of this sort of boom period of lots of debt and, and peak globalization, if that's the right word to use, um, will become worse than they perhaps would have been had the change happened, let's say, five, five six years ago. You know, it, 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 we, do, we still don't know what's coming. I mean, we, we can make some assumptions about what's coming and it certainly feels pretty uncomfortable just right now. But, but that doesn't mean we know what the outcome is at this stage. So, so what we can say, though, is there's more debt in the system than there was previously. And if anything, with the extra stimulus coming from COVID and then to some degree around the time of the uh, uh, Ukrainian uh, conflict, um, it, we're now in a position really where uh, stock markets probably started at a higher valuation. Uh, companies uh, were more ambitious in terms of raising cash and, and running cash flow models than they perhaps were three or six years ago. And the risk on the downside of some of these uh, vulnerable uh, strategies uh, is certainly as great as it was previously, and it may be greater, we'll find out later. Yeah, and I think one of the strategies which you said would become risky as, as, as time went on would, was the sort of um, index fund or index ETF type investment that's become very popular over the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years, or really the cycle that you describe in the book. Um, can you talk about why you think index investors may end up being worse off and why that why that's the case yes i think i think the key issue is that um uh, active fund managers have two jobs one of our jobs is to make extra return uh, outperform perhaps some indices um as was as a result of stock selection but the other job of an active fund manager is to reduce risk to moderate risk to, to, to manage portfolios and diversify across uh, different sectors and different holdings and the whole point about index funds and ETFs is to some extent, they're just not interested in diversification. They're not interested in managing risk. Really, their principal objective is to give you access to a certain trend, maybe gold stocks outperforming or, or maybe a, a, a setback in uh, uh, perhaps the utilities market. So the effect of them is that they tend to be much more concentrated in terms of their risk. They tend to be holding assets which are much more correlated across the portfolio as well as uh, uh, you know, holding assets which might have very substantial weightings in individual holdings. And so ultimately, whilst you can get lucky in the same way that you can get lucky on the 330 at Plumpton, you can also get very unlucky. And I think that those people investing in some of those assets, not, not all, but, but I think generally quite a few of those investors probably haven't recognised the correlation risk or the stock-specific concentration risk which I think will become more exposed as we move beyond globalization. Great. And um, I mean, re reading your book, which I did over the weekend, I recommend um, I recommend anyone listening buy a copy because it's still very interesting to read uh, six years after publication, particularly today. Um, I, I mean, one does get the impression that things have the potential to be a bit gloomy. And in a gloomy environment, I think people tend to think more about you know, buying gold bars and hiding them under their bed uh, rather than investing in companies. So, I mean, what what sort of things do you think investors should be looking for in 
this new environment, how can they how can they still get the returns they're looking for? I think the first thing is to, to move beyond debt. Um, debt enhances on the way up, but, but if you're over indebted, it, 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 it makes it doubly worse on the way down. And it's not so much that you can lose more money on the way down, but that you then become, you run the risk of becoming insolvent. And it's not so much, again, even that you become insolvent, but effectively your equity investment uh, or even your bonds in some cases, you're forced to, to, to liquidate at the bottom and there's no further recovery. So you're basically a forced seller at the bottom. Uh, and you know, it's terrible losing money, but, but to lose it on a permanent basis and be a forced seller and someone else get the upside is obviously just not very attractive. So as a starting point, I think debt is not a good area to get involved in. Uh, when inflation is, 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 is kind of pressing, uh, the areas which we which tend to do better are physical assets. Now that often includes property, perhaps utilities, but it also includes commodities, things like mining companies and and and, and old businesses. Uh, and so, effectively, the opportunity to invest in those kind of assets, uh, which generate not just surplus cash, but hopefully uh, reliable cash, which can grow with inflation over time, is a good starting point. Ultimately, unfortunately, you know there is also going to be risk that a lot of companies fail private businesses over indebted viable businesses but over indebted or businesses which have taken on too much ambition and are growing running cash flow negative models and run out of the ability to raise new capital uh, as those fail one of the advantages of quoted companies particularly quoted companies generating surplus cash uh, such as many of the uk stocks is they can keep those businesses going by buying them from the receiver albeit at you know distressed valuations and possibly enhance their ability to generate uh, uh, surplus cash going forward. So actually the UK stock market, which has been uh, very much a feature of, of, of caution and, and, and well positioned for inflationary times, has largely underperformed, as you know, relative to many of the international assets. But in comparison to the US, uh, uh, what we expect now is that the UK doesn't just outperform recently as it has the FTSE 100s already outperformed versus US markets already, but we expect to see this pattern persist and and, 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 and last and surprise in terms of the scale of that outperformance when it comes. I mean, a couple of the, the areas that you suggest looking at in the book as well. I mean, one of those is smaller and perhaps also more niche companies. Do you think that remains true today as well? Are those the sorts of businesses that investors may find more op opportunity with? Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, the natural inclination is to assume when, when you know, economic conditions get rough, that the uh, small companies get 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 you know have it have it tougher than the large companies, but actually the great advantage of some small quoted companies is one that they have strong balance sheets. They don't uh, have a lot of debt, but when it comes to acquiring assets from receiver from the receiver specifically, if you're a big company and you acquire a certain asset asset A, a business which was viable but but became insolvent because of too much debt. Um, that will enhance the cash flow for a big company. But being a big company, it only in incrementally improves their, their cash flow. If you start off as a small company, the great advantage is that the same transaction buying asset A actually leads to a much greater enhancement. So what bizarrely happens is if you invest in a company which is generating secure cash surpluses already uh, as a quoted company, it can then approach its shareholders, raise additional capital to buy assets from the receiver and generate even faster, uh, even more surplus cash per share uh, going forward. And, and as that starts to become a pattern, then of course what tends to happen is the valuations of the small quoted company starts to rise uh, and their ability to raise capital is easier, which means of course that the enhancement on those deals tends to grow faster. So from that point of view, if you go back to the 60s and 70s and early 80s, 
the UK quoted company sector, this is companies outside of the mid and large cap, I'm talking about small companies, some micro cap companies, quoted companies don't just survive, as a group they thrive. They don't just generate returns, they generate better returns than most other assets. And that's particularly true as you move down the market cap range. So the micro caps on average outperform uh, small caps and small caps on average outperform mid caps, etc. So you can, you know, the UK is nearly unique in the world in being a, a stock market which has a heritage of dealing with inflation. Uh, that's why the companies are generating surplus cash and, and we invest for incremental returns uh, in terms of investment, uh, not, not high unicorns. But also it's a vibrant universe in terms of smallness and microcaps. And that's particularly after the bigness of globalisation. Most investors need to rebalance their portfolio towards more smallness. Uh, and that's another area where the UK is almost unique. Um, relative to others, other stock markets around the world. Fantastic. And I think, yeah, one other area that I also thought was very interesting was um, you highlighted the fact that investors should look for companies that provide outstanding service. I mean, is that something that you're still looking for when you invest at the moment? One of the problems with the downturn is that often you find that uh, competition gets tougher. Um, you know, uh, so margins come under pressure. You've got a good business, but, 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 but your, your competitors start offering uh, the same service for a, a lower cost or, or, or the same product at a lower cost. And so how do you hold on to margin? And one of the uh, thinking, uh, one of the reasons for writing the book and one of the things which helped us in terms of stock selection was if you're going to resist margin pressure, of course you want to have you know, a better product and, and invest in, 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 in newer, newer ideas and, and better uh, sort of features and all the rest of it. But ultimately, you're still competing with lots of other companies. And we believe that if you are to hold on to margin, it's no use relying just on hopefully being slightly better product. You need to live a not good but outstanding customer service. What's thrilling is when we talk to PLCs uh, is that how few companies, uh, when you ask them, they say that they're interested in customer service, but when you start drilling down, actually not all of them are. A lot of management teams, you know, you ask questions like what percentage of wallpapers might be involved in, in, in recording service levels? Uh, and they sort of make some general comment about, say, 10 or 20 percent or whatever. But then you can follow it up with a question, you know, OK, well, what were service levels like last month? How do they compare with a year ago? Which is your best area in terms of service in your business as opposed to the worst area? You know, have you done any measures on some of the competition? And quite quickly, companies which are just uh, not that close to, the, to, to customer service uh, run out of answers, whereas those management teams which are really inspired uh, about and kind of live and breathe the ability to deliver customer service stand out. And it's great because actually so few companies talk about this agenda in their annual reports or indeed in their uh, company presentations to institutions. So, so it's an area where we can get uh, real insight. And in our view, it, it makes all the difference, all the difference uh, to selecting not just companies which are going to succeed, but companies which hopefully are going to be able to thrive in what may be a very uncomfortable economic situation coming up. Great. And I mean, on your on the sort of day to day, have you had to rejig things at all or take any different approach, given the sort of volatility we've seen in markets so far this year? Well, I mean, we're always having to rejig all the time. I mean, what tends to happen is share prices move up an awful long way and, and they're good companies. They, they may continue to succeed, but, but, but the valuation starts to get to a stage where uh, we, we, we think it's the right thing to start taking profits and reinvesting in companies which are more overlooked. So that tends to happen all the time. We also worry a lot about correlation risk. So holdings which have been successful perhaps become bigger holdings and we tend to take profits on those. 
uh, and time try and bring uh, uh, portfolio risk down so that each individual holding is relatively small and we're, we're well diversified in terms of stock holdings and indeed uh, sector weightings. We've also been very anxious really for the last two or three years about NASDAQ. Um, NASDAQ has been a tremendously successful market but we always feared that when inflation returned and, and investors became more anxious about market valuations, NASDAQ might be more vulnerable than other stock markets. So we've been very worried about companies which hold uh, positions in operating in the same sectors as NASDAQ. And so we've, we've tended to reduce quite heavily things like information technology, perhaps biotech stocks, uh, because although they're successful, we think that when you get NASDAQ and if you do get a change of behaviour and people move capital away from, from some of those high beta strategies, we don't want to be caught in some of the existing holdings in the UK. They might be good companies. They might even not be standing on particularly high valuations, but they could be just caught in the downdraft. And so we've tended to move away from that into companies which are resilient, companies which are generating surplus cash. It's probably meant we've moved away from the consumer sector. We're involved in a huge range of industries and different industry models, but most particularly, hopefully, we believe that many of them are resilient in terms of customer service and balance sheets, but most particularly also uh, in terms of the operation uh, they're not as affected by some of the other sectors where uh, institutional selling may become more 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 pronounced great and i mean one thing i've noticed over the past month or so is that a lot of small cap focused trusts or trusts with some exposure to small caps have seen have obviously been hit pretty hard but at the same time they're reporting pretty robust earnings growth and don't seem to be really forming poorly on the financial front. So do you think there's been any overselling, kind of panic-driven type stuff um, in the markets where perhaps fundamentals haven't really matched with, with share prices in, in a positive way? Yes, I, th I think, I mean, what tends to happen is when, when, when markets are unsettled, uh, unfortunately, some companies fall down faster than others. Um, some people don't want to sell the companies which have fallen the most rapidly, or perhaps they can't sell them. There's just no buyers there. Uh, and so they begin to sell other things, and that involves other companies which are more resilient, companies which aren't necessarily that expensive, but 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 are liquid in that there's still some buyers there, and they can uh, sell some. And and we've seen quite a bit of that. And I, I think particularly in the UK, you've seen the FTSE 100 hold up pretty well, but we've seen a lot of small companies, even some small companies producing good income, with share prices which have been markedly weak. Um, in spite of good trading. And we just this morning, we had K3 Capital, for example, which is a company which uh, we have a holding in in our clients' portfolios. But most particularly, it's a company which, uh, you know, it's not just trading well, they also have a business in there which helps with liquidations and receiverships. So if things get really nasty, that, that could find itself busier. But what's interesting is it, it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a wealth capitalised company. It's got a strong balance sheet. Uh, it's you know, generating some very good earnings. But, but most particularly, unusually, almost exceptionally, it's actually forecast its dividend for the forthcoming year at, at 15.5 pence of, of, of income. Um, and, and, and its share price has been uh, quite weak. And, and so it's yielding even now, you know, it's up to day, even on the day to day, like, but, but, you know, with a statement, but it's, it's yielding about five, over 5%, according to Bloomberg uh, on their forecasts um, today um, at 227. So it's extraordinary that you can find these companies which are, the share prices just appear wrong. They, they mean slightly more wrong now than it was perhaps a week ago or a month ago. But that, I think that's driven by uh, in, individuals who've just been unfortunate enough to, to have redemptions, to need to liquidate, and they've chosen to liquidate that because other holdings haven't been in such a good position. So does, does that mean there's any opportunities in the market, even in this rather tumultuous period? Yes. I mean, you know, as an active fund manager, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, investors which are uh, obliged to sell for reasons which aren't just rational. They're not just down to, you know, whether they think it's a bit expensive or whether they think there's a downgrade coming, uh, but down to other factors, portfolio liquidations, perhaps uh, uh, being caught out uh, with uh, overlarge positions or, 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 or finding they've got too much correlation in certain areas. Um, does mean that they don't just sell stocks, but sometimes they can sell stocks in size at the wrong price. And of course, as an active fund manager, we are always really interested in the opportunity for uh, being alive to those opportunities. Now, it's not easy. We don't know where the markets will go lower or whether they're going to go up next week. Um, but uh, what we do know is hopefully the companies we can select will hopefully be well positioned relative to others uh, and all being equal over time. If we get our stock selection criteria right, as I say, companies which are strong balance sheets, generating surplus cash, uh, well positioned to acquire assets from distressed sellers uh, if things get tougher, um, then we believe these companies will generate a plentiful return against uh, an unsettled market going forward. And, and you know, it, it, we, don't, we don't, you know, we've got to be careful about being too certain about the future because we don't know. There's a huge range of outcomes that, that could come, but most particularly, we are very, very upbeat about the potential for UK assets, particularly UK quoted companies, which most people have been a bit cautious about. UK small quoted companies, which are very, very overlooked, uh, and particularly small companies which are generating surplus cash, um, which are have been out of fashion even during the good times because people have been buying high beta sort of unicorn type stocks. So, so the bottom line is we're tremendously excited, yeah. Great. Well, I think that's a good point at which to stop. So thanks, Gervais, for taking the time to speak to me today. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll be publishing podcasts regularly from now on, so remember to check the Kepler Trust Intelligence website for any updates, and we hope you'll tune in again.